When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Chilean mythology. I'm your hostess, Ashley, and with me today, as always, are my amazing co-hosts, Emily and Lindsay. Hello. Okay, can I make a really dumb admission? What? What? Do you forget your own name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. She said amazing co-host. I totally pre- thought that she was going to say Lindsay and Ashley. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, I would say Lindsay and Ashley. <laughs> I'm Emily. <laughs> <laughs> if you, I would offer to switch lives with you, but I promise you, you would get the losing end of that deal. Aww. So you Aww. should probably stay Emily. I don't know. You'd get stuck with kids. You might not be a fan. You'd Mm-mm. get stuck with a super hyped up Boston Terrier that tries to eat my face every day. Hmm. Yeah. I'd take it, but that's just me. (laughs) But that's because you're the masochist, Lindsay. Who doesn't love face-eating canines? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Here's the problem, because... (laughs) Now, Now all I can think about is Mason Verger and the the pigs eating his face, so this is just going to be... What? We're off to a glorious start. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> yeah. Pig. Did I just like spoil your innocence? <laughs> Emily's face was like, what? That's not where I thought the conversation was going. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. I took it a dark place. It's going to be fun. All right. So before we get started, I need to quickly say that I done messed up some stuff. <laughs> Like, in the last episode I did, which was, well, it'll be two weeks ago when this comes out, 
Um, it's not a big deal, but I'm still gonna just say up front, I'm real bad at French, and it's never, it's never gonna get any better, apparently. <laughs> so I realized I was mispronouncing two names. So I have always heard it said Charles Peralt, but it's come to my attention that that's anglicized and it's wrong. So it's actually Charles Perot. Mm. And in my defense, in Spanish, Perro is a dog. So it's not like it was going to occur to me that his last name should sound like the Spanish word for dog. It just wasn't going to. <laughs> That's fair. And the other one that I repeatedly messed up, even though sometimes I got it right, because sometimes I remember not to be stupid... <laughs> is Gilles de Ray, who for some reason, even though I remembered not to say the S on Gilles, I kept saying it on Ray and saying Ray's, and that's wrong. Well, at least you pronounced it Gilles, because I've definitely heard other podcasts. I heard somebody else talk about him before, and they called him Giles. Oh, no. Or Giles. And it's that, neither. <laughs> I probably would have done that if that was me, so. I feel like it's my fault because I should have written the pronunciation thing behind every single one. Because if you listen to the episode, I got it right the first time. <laughs> and then as I kept going, I was, like, getting more and more excited about what we were doing. And I started saying that, like, pronouncing that S. So that's wrong. <laughs> and I'm bad at French. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, not not a huge deal, but I just wanted to admit right now that I messed up. And I'm going to try really hard to do better this time. And since I took Spanish, I think we're going to be okay, but we'll see. All right, so we'll run through my sources. Uh, unfortunately, I had a lot this time, so hopefully it doesn't get super boring. The first one that I used was an article about Patagonia like the region in South America from, I assume it's caserex.com, but I'm not sure how to pronounce that website name. I think we put links in the show notes, so mm -hmm. it should be down there. I have, uh, oh, I used Ancient Origins, uh, page by April Holloway on the city of the Caesars. I used a couple of different articles from the website Patagonia dash argentina.com which was super helpful ah uh, yeah here we go with the spanish all right <laughs> um i used a page from the website memoria chilena the article is called la busqueda de la ciudad de los cesares and that translates to the search for the city of the caesars i have a bunch of articles on Wikipedia, and I'm not going to read all of them because it's like a crap ton. I was on mm -hmm. Wikipedia so much, like it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. I had a page on the lost cities of Central and South America, specifically the, on the city of the Caesars from steamit.com. I had an article from the BBC by Jane Palmer called The Atlantis-Style Myths That Turned Out to Be True. Nice. Yeah, I had another article on that same vein called Five Legendary Lost Cities That Have Never Been Found. And that one was by Markle. Wow, I just smushed his first and last name together. 
You just poor man too, that poor man. I sure did. And I'm <laughs> super sorry because your first name is Michael and I should know how to. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was skipping ahead. So it's Michael Dastris. So I was like, smush that R into the first name. It's better that way. Turn him into like Madonna. <laughs> Um, And that piece was on the website from thegrapevine.com. And that's it, because I'm not going to read all those Wikipedia ones. It's just so many. (laughs) Just the links will be there. You can click on them. It'll be Mm -hmm. fun. All right. So let's jump in and do some context to set the scene for this, which, you know, I've already given away that we're clearly talking about a lost city. And if that doesn't make you feel excited to learn some stuff... I don't know what will. <laughs> then you're broken inside, and we can't fix that. I'm, I'm so excited. When you told us that, that you were going to do this, I was stupid excited because I've heard about this before. I don't know if you have, Lindsay. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I've heard of it, and I was dumb excited because this is so cool. Well, there's not that much out there in English, but the good news is that I can actually read Spanish, so... Yeah, I'm pretty excited about some of the information I ended up finding, because when I was trying to just use sources that were already translated into English, I was like, this is going to be two minutes long. Two minutes. And then I was like, just start reading Spanish. It's going to be fine. (laughs) It's slow going, because I don't use it as much anymore. But Mm -hmm. I feel pretty good about it. I feel pretty good about it. Nice. So today's myth actually hails from the region of Patagonia, which is a territory shared by two South American countries, Chile and Argentina. Covering approximately 300,000 square miles, or 777,000 square kilometers, Patagonia extends from the southern part of the Andes Mountains in a southwestern direction to the Pacific Ocean on the Chilean side, while the Argentinian side extends from the eastern side of the Andes over to the Rio, Colorado. I am bad at directions, so I had to look at a map because that did not help me. But if you you are good at directions, you can probably sort of picture it. I suck. I do not know. Listen, I do not know which way is north and which way is south unless I have a compass in my hands. I just don't. Probably why I get lost so much. (laughs) You should never go into the woods alone. No. (laughs) You know, it's fun because I wasn't planning on it. There's a lot of stuff in the woods that I don't like. I'm thinking about a lot of bugs that hang Mm -hmm. out in there. Let's just be honest. I don't seem like somebody who hangs out in the woods, and there's a reason for that. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Also, in all of the stories I was read growing up, bad things happened in there. Mm. So you probably just shouldn't go in alone anyway, no matter who you are. This is true. So, the region's strikingly beautiful scenery formed millions of years ago due to geological and glaciological changes. Yes! Sorry. (laughs) I was like, I'm never going to get that word right. But I did. And then I ruined it by celebrating. All right. (laughs) Fucking nailed it. (laughs) Fucking nailed it. Time to move on. (laughs) 
Um, so this resulted in the diverse landscape of mountains, valleys, and bodies of water that we see today. Patagonia is one of the least inhabited regions on the entire planet, with a population density of just 1.5 people per square kilometer. So that's less than Alaska? Oh, yeah, yeah. Damn. They measure in half people. They we measure, measure in toddlers. toddlers. <laughs> they have 1.5 people. There's like three toddlers there. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just free range roaming around. <laughs> free range toddlers. You know, for some reason, I I don't think they're toddlers, but it's just, you know, that's just me. I don't know how well toddlers do in a mountain range, but <laughs> probably not very well. That's why there's so few of them. Oh, oh no, <laughs> And the story is already back to child death. And I oh no! I want to be very clear that I did not do that. That was not me. I'm it not, was me. This is not a Steve Urkel moment. I <laughs> Sorry, one and a half people. Continue. I think. I think what I'm going to say next will appeal a lot to Emily, though, because what it lacks in human population, it more than makes up for in a wide variety of plant and animal life. Yeah. yeah. You love those plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> All right. That got weird. <laughs> uh, Patagonia was originally inhabited by the Tewelche Indians, who were divided into northern and southern groups that each had their own distinct dialect. The Tewelche were nomadic and survived mainly by hunting raya and guanaco. And I don't know what those... Oh, I know a raya is a bird. I do not have a, even the slightest idea what a guanaco is. But I'm going to Google no it. No idea. I'm going to Google it because now I'm like, why didn't I look this up before? I want to know. It's a turtle. That's it's what I'm going to go with. It's a tur- I don't know. I just throw that out there. It is not a turtle at all. It kind of looks like a llama. <gasps> don't hunt the llamas. Okay, so this is from Wikipedia. The guanaco is a camelid native to South America, closely related to the llama. Oh my god, I called it. It does look uh... like a llama. <laughs> uh, its name... Ooh... Shoot, give me just a second, because I have the word written in here. Its name comes from the Quechua word Juanico. So yeah, that's cool. We're actually going to talk about Quechua in just a second here, because that's the language of the Incas. Nice. Oh, nice. All right, so I looked that up, and I'm really glad that we did, because it's an adorable llama-looking creature, and now I'm sad that they were hunting them. Eh, you gotta eat. Don't eat those. Eat the birds. Birds are usually mean anyway. Let's just be honest. Uh, Okay, look. Chickens are terrifying. They are. And they will self-cannibalize if they have an open wound. So I'm just saying, did you not know that? Same with their own eggs. They'll They'll eat the eggs. If an egg cracks, they'll eat the inside of it. You guys are ruining me at the moment. 
I did not know these things. No, no, they will. They'll, uh, if it has an open wound, a chicken will auto-cannibalize if it can that reach it. Is disgusting. Yeah, that's why you have to separate them right away, and you have to take out cracked eggs as soon as you see them, because otherwise they'll eat it. Yeah. Well, you learn something new every day. Not necessarily always something that you wanted to learn. <laughs> yeah, um, I used to be really good friends with a, a woman who lived on a farm, and she told me a lot of stuff about chickens. And I was like, you know what? I feel really good about eating those now. Because so. <laughs> they're awful. <laughs> if you will eat yourself, if you have an open wound, then it's okay if I do it. It's not a big deal. <laughs> It was going to be one of us. Well, let's be honest. It's going to hurt less if it's already dead when I eat it. And it's going to mm-hmm. feel awful when it's eating itself. But apparently it'll still do it anyway. So there you go. Because they're dumb. Oh, yeah. They're so dumb. They're like, if you look into a chicken's eyes, you basically see a dinosaur looking back at you. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, you basically see, just think about that scene in the first Jurassic Park movie where he talks about how raptors are a lot like birds. I'm telling you, he's right. When I look into a chicken's eyes, a dinosaur is looking back at me. No, I'm just I'm picturing, picturing you. Are you picturing her face to face just staring in the <laughs> eyes of a chicken? <laughs> like that shot back and forth. And then I'm picturing her. it jumping on a doorknob and like trying to open it and her being like, clever girl. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is getting, uh, we're not, gonna, we're not on the subject at all anymore. <laughs> okay. Guanaco. Guanaco. You know what? It's okay. I feel like that one was mostly my fault. <laughs> Um, very few of the Tewelche still survive today, and the ones who remain with us have been almost completely assimilated into Spanish culture, meaning their unique cultural practices and beliefs have largely been lost, which is mm-hmm. super freaking depressing. That and by sucks. the way, that's why colonialism is poo, just yeah. in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. That sucks. And now we get to talk about yet another civilization that's been pretty much wiped out thanks to fucking colonialism. Because there was another large indigenous civilization primarily centered on the Andes Mountains. So they're not like in Patagonia, they're kind of like on the outskirts of Patagonia, but the Incans are very important to this story. Which is why I'm about to say, and you've heard of them because they're the Incan Empire, and I just ruined my own, like, setup, but that's okay. (laughs) But, fun fact, we are the ones who call them the Incan Empire. That's not their actual name. What? Yeah. We're, you know what? Colonialism's stupid, and we're stupid. Like, and by we, I mean all of the societies that decided that colonialism and imperialism were good ideas. We're all dicks. Because we just decide we're going to call things whatever we want to call them, whether that's their name or not. So, here's the rundown on the whole Inca name switch. So, in the official language of this civilization, which is Quechua, which we were just talking about a moment ago, the name for the empire is actually... Ooh, it's a lot of syllables. Okay. Um, okay, so it's Tawantinsuyu. Now, what that actually translates to, and again, this is roughly, it's not exact. It translates to 
four regions in Union. Oh, I like, I like that. that. Right? You guys are twinning too hard today. <laughs> we are. What's happening? <laughs> You're morphing into one being. <laughs> like animorphs, we just like morph together. Are we just going to become limily? <laughs> okay, so the actual Quechua word Inca, which is spelled with a K, not a C. What that actually means is ruler or lord, and it's used to describe the ruling family or the ruling class. So basically what happened is a bunch of dumbass colonials came in and were like, we own you now, tell us about yourselves. And then we decided to change everything because we're dumb and we don't understand what's going on ever. So that's all of history in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! The total population of the Incan Empire was... Go ahead, guess. How many people do you think? Five million. Okay. Um, I I thought it was a pretty sizable empire. It is. But it's I, big. Yeah. Five million. That sounds like a pretty decent number. I would have to agree with Lindsay. It's ten million. Damn. Oh, wow. Right? That's a huge freaking population. But, you know, of course we wiped them out, too. Because we're horrible. And again, by we, every country that decided they were going to go in and just take shit that didn't belong to them. I think mostly they were, unfortunately, killed by smallpox. I was going to say, wasn't the bulk of it disease. But that doesn't make it not our fault. Because the colonials are the ones that brought it there. Yeah. I was just going to say, it doesn't make it better. It still sucks still terrible and also we did kill a bunch of them anyway i should probably specify at some at some point like who we technically is because it wasn't just the english i know it was the spanish it's the english it's the spanish and i think the dutch also but that isn't here we're just not there yet So, in the late 16th century, Spanish explorers made an attempt to colonize the Patagonian region along the coast. But their settlement failed. And to that, I'd like to say, (laughs) (laughs) ha-ha! Solid Simpsons reference. (laughs) I thought so, but, you know, you never know until it's out there. Later in 1778, the English attempted to colonize the same area, which did not go over well with the Spaniards. So, you know, there was some fighting there, which, Mm -hmm. again, you know, if you want to kill each other, I guess knock yourselves out. In reaction to the English colonizers, the Spaniards formed the region's first two real towns, and those were San Jose and Nuestra Señora del Carmen, which was later renamed Viedma. I don't know why, but, you know, Istanbul, Constantinople, whatever. It's nobody's business but the Turks, right? Yeah, I love that song. Now it's going to be too. stuck in my head. I do too. Uh, after Argentina gained independence in July 1816, Patagonia was pretty much left to its own devices until around the 1870s. And they were just like, "Mm, you know what? We're not going to deal with this anymore. We're just not. It's too hard. There's not that many people. The terrain is difficult. No. (laughs) And they gave up for a while. All right. We're all finished with our appetizers. I'll be back with the main course right after this break. 
Hey y'all, I'm Kim. And I'm Lark. And we host Kudzu Killers, Homicide and Sweet Tea. Each week we discuss the juicy details of real life murders that happen in the southern U.S., sometimes with inappropriate laughter. But we try to be nice. The stories may be old, cold, or recent. Whatever we find that perks our ears. We download a new episode every Tuesday. You can find us on all the major apps as well as a few minor ones. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the rest. Just drop on by our host page at buzzsprout.com and pick your favorite app to download us on and be sure and listen. And be sure to check our blog at kudzukillerspodcast.blogspot.com where we have extra content that was just too much for our little show. So y'all come on, sit down with us and have a big old glass of sweet tea and enjoy listening to us talk all things murder. Bye now. Bye y'all. And we're back. I hope you're hungry because it's time for the main course and it is not face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's good. It wasn't written into the notes, but I said it anyway. (laughs) Okay, so I had a difficult time piecing this story together, but I feel pretty good about what I managed to get together for us. So hopefully you guys will enjoy this one. Our story, which is about the lost city of the City of the Caesars, really begins in 1526. This is when the first references to the city come from. Spanish soldiers with Sebastian Cabot's expedition reached the Rio de la Plata. They spoke of a city with fantastic riches such as gold and diamonds, that was populated by white men. Yeah, that's, okay. the face, mm-hmm. that's the exact face I made. I was like, mm, let me just stop you right there. <laughs> white men? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm calling bullshit. But there's a lot more. So here's the, okay, the next part of this, I can't pin down for sure because some of my sources said it happened in 1528. And other sources said it happened in 1529. So one of those two damn years. I'm not sure which one. Um, But there was a month and a half long journey by Captain Francisco Cesar from what is now known as the Argentinian province of Santa Fe to the province of San Luis. Captain Cesar marched westward with a small group of men and returned with tales of a city hidden within the Andes Mountains that was filled with riches like precious metals and gems. It's most likely from Cesar that the most well-known name for the city originates, La Ciudad de los Cesares, which translates to the city of the Caesars. Other names for the city have also surfaced over the last few centuries. Those names include City of Patagonia, Trapalanda, The Wandering City, and El Elin. There were also rumors that the city was at least partially founded by fugitives from the Diego de Almagro expedition. This part of the story might be my favorite. Fugitives, huh? Mm-hmm. Anything with fugitives is bound to be good, even if Harrison <laughs> Ford's not in it. <laughs> De Almagro's quest for Chilean riches took place in 1535 and was, frankly, screwed from the outset. 
Like nothing went well. It's the definition of Murphy's Law. So at that time, tension between the Incas and Spanish authorities were mounting, particularly following the arrest of Manco Inca Yopanqui by Juan Pizarro, the brother of famous and more well-known Francisco Pizarro, who, by the way, was a dick. (laughs) I mean... Let's be fair. All of the conquistadors were dicks. Come on, yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. not, not going to apologize. It's true. You know that it's true. Don't argue with me. Yeah. Um, additionally, lives were lost due to difficult conditions in the Andes and because the Chilean winter settled in. So it's possible that on this expedition, there were actual deserters. Like, it would make sense given the hardships they were facing at that time. We also know that Incan scouts told De Almagro he would find gold in cities during the course of their exploration that the group simply never came across, which some say lends credence to the idea that these explorers, who would have been unfamiliar with the landscape, could possibly have overlooked entire cities that were partially hidden due to surrounding terrain. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, when you first think about it, like an entire missing city seems insane. Like, it's not a stick of gum. Yeah. <laughs> you should know where it is. <laughs> but it's a huge region. Yeah. And they're unfamiliar with it. It's a huge region. They're unfamiliar with it. And the terrain is really this diverse landscape in this area. Mm-hmm. And it just honestly makes sense that you might miss things if you don't know what you're looking for or where it is. Now, a few years later, in 1540, there was a shipwreck in the Straits of Magellan. This particular ship contained members of the Bishop of Placentia's expedition, and around 200 people died in the incident. Damn. 23 years after that accident, two crew members from this lost ship returned to Chile. They claimed to have found a treasure-filled city that they said was built by the Incas. This is a sensible assumption if the city truly was located in the Andes Mountains, since the Incas were the last of the Andean civilizations and were the dominant force in the Chilean Andes since the 12th century. So, like, if someone was going to build a really cool city in the Andes Mountains, it would have been the Incas. Mm -hmm. It's unclear how this would relate to earlier claims that the lost city was populated by white men... But we all know how much stories change when they're passed almost entirely by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how you would be like this really cool Incan civilization, but also white people were there because... (laughs) Narcissism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Following the miraculous return of these men, additional search parties for the lost city quickly multiplied in number, and the fact that all of them turned up empty-handed did little to dampen the myth. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, everybody failed. Get more people! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instead, these failures just served to deepen the legend of the city of the Caesars. It's almost as though the lack of evidence somehow proved the city must be there. (laughs) 
I mean, it's just science. That's how science works. It's just classic man. It is. We're stupid creatures. I don't know yeah, how we are. <laughs> how are we still alive? I don't know, but like, we shouldn't be. <laughs> we are not smart. Uh, in fact, it's probably these very failures that resulted in the belief that the city itself moves or wanders, disappearing and reappearing unexpectedly. Because, you know, that makes more sense than it's not real. <laughs> That's the only thing that could possibly explain it. It has to be hopping around. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's no way it couldn't exist. Fact. I would compare it to them being like, oh, well, it's kind of like the room of requirement. You need to be out there pacing <laughs> around thinking about what you need or it won't appear. <laughs> That's a really, really good analogy. It is a good analogy. I'm such a nerd. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where she got the idea. I don't know. By the middle of the 17th century... Exploration parties focused largely on the regions in the far south of Patagonia. Between 1669 and 1673, one expedition led by Jesuit Nicholas Mascardi journeyed across Patagonia, reaching all the way to the Strait of Magellan, where Mascardi founded a mission at the banks of Lake Nawalwapi. Thought I was going to mess that up. In 1673, the indigenous people struck back at the mission, killing Mascardi and driving the other Jesuits from the area, which ultimately caused the mission itself to become defunct. People don't like the Jesuits. People don't like them. (laughs) Maybe don't do that. Maybe don't just go into places where you don't belong and build shit that they don't want to be there. Yeah. I'm just... I'm not saying it's it's cool to kill people, but maybe, maybe calm down. Let's just go ahead and agree that we could all take a cue from Taylor Swift because they need to calm down and move mm-hmm. forward. <laughs> During the better part of the 18th century, Spanish authorities, concerned by the presence of the Dutch and the English, so thank God I was right, it is the Dutch. <laughs> who had also taken an interest in establishing colonies in the Chile-Argentina area, organized various expeditions of the southern channels in an attempt to claim as much territory as possible. You know, because if you touch everything and say mine before everybody else, it's yours. (laughs) Oh, see, I thought you had to lick it all first. (laughs) You just got to shove a stick in it that has a flag on it. This is mine. (laughs) There you go. This is mine. That's mine. Of course, if they happen to locate a city filled to the brim with riches in the process of going around going, mine, 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 so much the better. (laughs) Mine? 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 I'm going to be thinking about finding Nemo the rest of the time. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, everybody knows finders, keepers, losers, weepers. So Mm -hmm. you see it first, it's yours now, and I guess maybe you have to lick it. (laughs) <laughs> to claim it accurate <laughs> okay some of these expeditions were partially at least an attempt to reestablish the mission founded by Mascardi in order to complete or sorry to continue his apostolic work none of that worked out though nope 
1774, the arrival of fresh news about the lost city coincided with the publication of the work of another Jesuit, Thomas Faulkner, in which he offered a fairly detailed description of the Southern Territory. The combination of these events led to the 1779 organization of a new expedition. You know, let's try again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, oh, God. One that would be directed by Lima merchant Manuel Jose de... Ooh, sorry. Not de Wu. That's a car. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Manuel Jose de Orejuala. Yes. All right. <laughs> that was a lot of syllables. But <laughs> uh, the following year, Orejuala arrived in Chile to begin preparations for the expedition. However, it was ultimately quashed by Governor Ambrosio de Benavides in 1783 before it even got off the ground. Woo! Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Dash your dreams. Dash your dreams. I threw it on the ground. <laughs> uh, which just goes to show that bureaucratic red tape was a thing even in the 18th century. So that's been fucking things up for a really long time. Uh, the later explorations of Fray Francisco Menendez and Jose de Moraleda ended up largely collapsing the geographical foundations of the search for the city. So, like, they did get two more expeditions that actually went out there and really did a fairly thorough search. And after both of those came up empty-handed, we were like, uh, I think we're looking in the wrong spot. I don't think this is the place. <laughs> By the way, for anybody else who does not know this, because I didn't, a fray is basically a friar. That's what I mm. thought it might be. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what the hell that is. I need to figure it out. It's, it's basically a friar. Uh, some people believe the most likely explanation for the legend of the City of the Caesars is that the indigenous peoples of Chile made the story up to tell gullible foreign explorers slash conquerors. And I'm not going to lie. If that's what happened, it's fucking epic. I love that <laughs> idea. It's like taking drop bears to like the ultimate level. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is the troll of the century. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> And I applaud you for doing it because, holy shit, <laughs> how dumb do you have to be to waste this much time and energy and resources searching for something that's fake? <laughs> I mean, they spent hundreds of years looking for it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. People are still, some people are still looking for this. And mm -hmm. it might not have ever been a thing. And I love that so much. That's, that would be amazing. I'm so mean, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you had it coming, so... You can just deal with it. However, there are also those who believe the city of the Caesars is out there, surrounded by an impenetrable mist that protects it from the prying eyes of outsiders, and that it will remain hidden there until the end of time, when the mists finally part and the city will reveal itself to unbelievers. But the, all the people that went in looking for it believed in that thing. They wholeheartedly believed in that thing. What if you don't believe in it and you just, like, stumble into it? I don't know. <laughs> if you're just like, what's this fog? I hear water. Can I just keep walking towards the water? And then you're like, what? I kind of, <laughs> here's how I kind of think of it. 
I think of it like the, you know, invisible cloak that's kind of over Thymascara in Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So, like, it literally looks like nothing's there. Like, you can wander into it, like, unexpectedly and end up in there and actually see it. So I'm assuming that the city would work similarly to that. Like, if you did wander through the fog and just happened to end up inside the city, maybe it would lift enough for you to see. Mm-hmm. And then Elton John would start singing? Probably. Eldorado! I like to think he appears dressed in that sequiny devil outfit, because that's what makes me happy inside. But, you know, maybe not. I, I don't know. Um... I don't think it necessarily means that, like, they didn't find it because they didn't believe in it. I just think that they're kind of arguing if you don't believe in it, you definitely won't find it. But, like, fuck that. I mean, I really doubt that those uh, lost guys from the shipwreck were like, I believe in this. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna find it. And then walked into it. It sounds like they would have specifically stumbled into it by mistake. Mm-hmm. You know what that makes me think of? What? When somebody's like, you know, if you want to have a good day, you just got to believe that you're going to have a good day. and Keep telling yourself that you're going to have a good day and then you'll have a good day. No, I hate that too. I really hate every time that there's a problem and someone implies that the whole solution is that you just need to have a better attitude about it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, here's the problem with what you're saying. In an extreme example, let's say someone's punching me in the face. You're telling me if I have a good attitude about getting punched in the face, that will fix it. And I don't think that it will. <laughs> I will still be getting punched in the face. Why do you like this? and they just get weirded out and they like walk away (laughs) I don't know it's you know that's obviously a really extreme example and normally what happens is like something with my job where someone's treating me like crap and I'm like I'm having a really awful day and people are like you just need to have a better attitude about it I'm like I'm pretty sure I'll still be getting exploited the same amount whether I'm happy about it or not Yeah, but hey whatever Okay, now that we've devoured our main course and savored its subtle, almost hidden flavors. Ooh, I see what you did there. Yeah, (laughs) it was heavy-handed AF. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for a quick break to cleanse the palate before dessert. Welcome back. I hope you're ready for dessert because it's good to go. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> ready for dessert. <laughs> this is my getting ready for dessert face. It's your dessert dance. <laughs> don't you have a dessert dance? No. <laughs> Maybe I've been doing life wrong. I don't have a dessert dance. It makes it taste better. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. <laughs> I'll work on that. I'll see if I can come up with one. Okay. So I figured the where else do we see this part of this episode will be really fun because like, holy shit, probably everyone listening could think of other lost cities. Mm-hmm. As soon as I was like, we're going to do a lost city. You guys did it because you were like, El Dorado. El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that on my list. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other ones. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, let's have a little bit of fun with this. So I have some specific examples, but I also want to let you know that in the course of doing this, I found out there's an entire existing discipline in academics that I didn't know anything about. What? Oh, that's cool. So that's pretty epic. And it's called Geomythology. 
Ooh, I like that. I wish that I knew this was a thing because I feel like I missed my calling now, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have to know, be able to determine direction, it might not have been your calling. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I was savage. What did I ever do to you? <laughs> Do you want some aloe for that burn? Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. All right. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> Just crushed my dreams. It's fine. Oh, no, no. I don't have any of those anymore. They, oh, they no. suffocated a long time ago. Oh, no. So anyway, geomythology is the practice of searching for real geological events that underlie myths. Oh, that's, that's cool. cool. It's so cool. Like, I'm so depressed that this isn't my job. <laughs> so, yeah, that's freaking awesome. They'll read a myth and try to see if looking back through everything that we know geologically about the history of that area, if they can find an explanation for what might have actually happened. And that's just really cool to me. Okay, cool. I take it back. I think you could definitely do that. You're like yeah. queen of the research. Uh, I'm not good at geology, though, so it's okay. All right, so the first one I feel like that I picked is the big dull one that everybody's like immediately probably thinking of, and it's Atlantis, because mm -hmm. come on. However, I feel like I have some information that's going to upset some of you very deeply. And I'm oh, no. excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think Atlantis is probably the first thing that springs to mind when someone hears the phrase Lost City. Um, this story dates back to 360 BCE, originating in the work of the renowned Greek philosopher Plato. I don't really like him that much, but that's okay. Not to be confused with Pluto. Yeah, no, they're totally different. Pluto is a god. Plato thinks he's a god. <laughs> I just did a sick burn on a really dead person. <laughs> there are philosophers out there doing this, like shaking a fist at me right now for saying that. I don't care. Listen, his work's kind of boring, and that's not my fault. So anyway, he... He wrote about this city in two of his dialogues. He wrote about it in Timaeus, and the other one is Critias. However, he was using it allegorically to demonstrate the superiority of his ideal state. It's not real. He never said it was real. He never implied it was real. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to tell you where that went wrong, because it did. <laughs> so in the 19th century... Leave it to the 19th century. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, they did a lot of damage. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> They're like, we're so enlightened. <laughs> You're not. You don't know anything. <laughs> You're dumbasses. Yeah, well, they are dumbasses because some scholars misunderstood Plato's narratives and came to believe Atlantis had actually existed, resulting in a great deal of pseudoscientific speculation about where we might find this lost city. For the most part, scientists agree the island never existed and was entirely a work of fiction, but it hasn't stopped others, you know, the dumb ones 
from attempting to determine the location of Atlantis. Some of the posited locations have been off the coast of Spain, in the Mediterranean Sea, but perhaps the most common is Thera, now known as the Greek island of Santorini, which was partially mm-hmm. destroyed by a volcanic eruption approximately 3,600 years ago. Yeah. It's not real, guys. Stop looking for it. Have you seen anything from Santorini? It's actually pretty freaking cool. No. They had, like, they had multi-level buildings, and they had indoor plumbing, and I think they had clocks. And stuff. Like, they were actually a really advanced civilization, so I could see why people would think that that might have inspired it, but, yeah. It, they were people. Yeah, here's the thing. Plato made it up. It's not real, and it never existed, <laughs> and the gods didn't firebomb it into or out of, I guess, existence. <laughs> that did not happen. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some other ones, though, that you may or may not have heard of. Obviously, I already said Eldorado's on the list, so I guess we'll go ahead and do that one next, and then we'll kick back to this other really cool one that I had never freaking heard of. So, El Dorado, um, honestly, I feel like there are a lot of similarities between stories that I've heard about El Dorado and the city of the Caesars. Mm-hmm. So, El, the myth of El Dorado dates back to the 16th century and was said to be located in South America, a lot like the city of the Caesars. Initially, the legend told of a single king, so rich he was covered in gold. But in time, that story transformed into an entire city filled with gold. European colonizers were so enthralled by this tale that multiple expeditions, including two led by Sir Walter Raleigh, set out vainly hoping to locate this glorious golden kingdom. And guess what? They failed. They failed. (laughs) (laughs) They failed a whole bunch. So honestly, part of me kind of wonders if... These are really two separate myths, or if maybe they're somehow, like, the same myth, but people heard about it and called it different things, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. consolidated into one story, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of similarities, I feel like, between those. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about a really cool one that I'd never heard of, and I'm so excited about. So, the next city is... Dwaraka. Have you guys heard of Dwaraka? Mm-mm. Is that a lost city in India? Yeah. Okay, I think I've heard of this before. Mm-hmm. So, the Mahabharata, a 4,000-year-old Sanskrit epic poem that I now really want to read. <laughs> uh, it tells of a city called Dwaraka that was swallowed up by the Arabian Sea when Lord Krishna decided to abandon the city and return to the heavens. This city was long thought to be nothing more than a myth, but in 1963, an archaeological investigation discovered the truth. Dwaraka existed, and they found what's left of it intact under the water off the coast of India. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it like sank into the water. An entire city. 
And it's really cool, and I found a whole bunch of pictures of it, and we're going to post a bunch of them, because they're really cool. <laughs> so that's Atlantis. No. I'm just it saying. <laughs> Don't believe everything you read on Papyrus, Lindsay. <laughs> Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I picked one more, and some of you are probably going to bitch at me for this, and I really don't care, because I'm a nerd, and I'm staying in, and I don't care. So, the last one is Troy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and a bunch of people are probably like, ooh, you're full of shit, that's not a lost city. But wait, hear me out. Because <laughs> he, here's the thing, though. So, Troy is the fortified city that Greece went to war against in Homer's Iliad. You know, the story of Achilles. <laughs> for people who aren't huge nerds. <laughs> <laughs> and Helen of Troy and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's the city that they penetrated. Yes, penetrated. Ooh. With a giant hollowed out <laughs> wooden horse. Yes. <laughs> no, that. <laughs> okay, so Homer's epic poem was written in the 8th century BCE. Like, that's a long ass time ago. Mm-hmm. But even then, he was writing about events that had taken place hundreds of years before that, basically near the end of the Bronze Age or circa 1200 BCE. Over the course of history and in the wake of Troy's destruction, its physical location was forgotten to the point that the city's very existence was called into question, resulting in quasi-mythological status. That is until 1822, when Scottish journalist Charles McLaren identified Hisserlich as the probable location of ancient Troy. Later archaeological excavation at the site revealed ruins of a series of cities built on the same location in succession. Mm -hmm. And most scholars now agree that this site is in fact the actual physical location where Homer's Troy once stood, to the point that this has been added to UNESCO's World Heritage List back in 1998. How cool is that? Come on. So That's awesome. Cool. They actually found the walls. Yeah. Like the walls around the city. That That's what really kind of gave them the idea that this was Troy because it had that wall that nobody else had. Yeah, it's... I mean, for... We're talking about hundreds, we're talking about thousands of years. Like, people thought this place was made up. So, you know, a little bit shame on me because I'm shitting all over people who are like, (laughs) Atlantis was real. When I'm like, everyone thought Troy wasn't real and then it was. But also, Mm -hmm. Atlantis still isn't real. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like, honestly, if you know enough about Plato like it's not it's not real I'm sorry it's just not but yeah Troy people really did think that that wasn't real for a very long time and then we finally found it but by the way Homer is really cool in a lot of different ways not the least of which is because this disgustingly good epic poem plus he also did the Odyssey Like, these are still considered to be among the greatest works of Western civilization's literature. I don't care, like, who you talk to. These are foundational. Like, I've had to read Mm -hmm. these 
So many times I've lost count of how many times I've read these. And he wrote these, like, not long after a dark period of time in which they pretty much lost written language in Greece. Like, how fucking cool is it that not long after we recovered written language, two of the best things that have ever been written in the Western canon were written? That's pretty. Cool. I think that's pretty awesome. How do you... How do you sit down and write something like this back then? I don't know, because it's, like, trying to express... It's not just the story. Like, the story itself is one thing, and it's a really beautiful story. But I feel like we would not give a shit about this at all if it weren't for the way that it's written. Like, Mm -hmm. it's... I don't... It's literally a poem. It's written in verse, And it's one of the longest poems I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) And this guy wrote this whole thing beautifully in a time not long after they just recovered writing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm over here getting blown away by something. Everybody else is probably like, no, stop it. This is boring. (laughs) It's amazing. So that's, that's basically it, but... There are other ones out there. I found other lost cities, but there's really not very much information about them. Like, I know I only gave you a little paragraph about each one of these, but the only one I probably could have written much more about without, like, doing a whole story on it would probably be El Dorado. And again, it's super similar to the story I just told you, so Mm -hmm. I didn't see the point in doing that. Yeah. Anyway... There may or may not be a lost city that's filled with gold, but it's probably not real. I both do and do not hope that it's real, because if it's not, then it might be that big old joke that they were just playing on all the conquerors, which would be hysterical. Mm -hmm. But also, it'd be super freaking cool if they did find... Think about the history and the heritage in that, if they found something like that. That'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, we we have found other cities that are supposed to not be there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in the Amazon, they find entire cities that have been completely overgrown all the time. Yep, that have been reclaimed by nature. It happens, and honestly, Aztec building, if you've ever seen anything that was built by the Aztecs, it's like some of the most impressive architecture I've ever seen, and I don't know how they did it. Like, these are one of the civilizations that's on that stinking, like, ancient aliens thing. Cause they're mm-hmm. like, how they did this? <laughs> There's no way they did this. It was aliens. And I'm like, no, they were just really freaking cool. Like, I can't tell you how they did it, but obviously they knew what they were doing. Like, these buildings are still standing, and they look amazing. It's some of the best stonework I've ever seen in my life. They were just really cool, and they should still be here, but they're not. Does anybody have anything good that they want to share so that I'm not sitting here thinking about the fact that this entire civilization was wiped out that should still be here? <laughs> I, a few weeks ago, ordered and um, took a food sensitivity test to kind of see once and for all what I'm actually allergic to. And I got the results back on tuesday of this past week and apparently i am super allergic to eggs both whites and the yolks that's a huge bummer well the something good part of it is like i'm 
a lot of the things that I thought I was allergic to, like gluten and nuts and corn and beans, I'm actually not allergic to. So it, it was a pretty comprehensive sensitivity test. Like it went through like 200 some foods that you could be sensitive to. But the two main ones were just both parts of the egg, which I mean, you can avoid stuff that has eggs in it. Like it's it's difficult, but not I mean, it's still doable. So I started doing an elimination diet to like eliminate, obviously, eggs, but then also some of the foods that they said I have a mild reaction to. And you do it for like 30 days and then you can like gradually reintroduce foods back into your routine. And I've lost four pounds. Yay. In the past that's a like five days. So that's pretty cool. So that's my something good. Not the egg part of it. Yeah, that would bum me out because I really like eggs, but I, mm-hmm. you're right, though. It's better than being, like, allergic to a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. 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 So when I saw that and I just saw, like, that the – because they break it out by, like, like high sensitivity, medium, mild, and, like, normal sensitivity. So, like, the first two were the eggs for, like, the most severe. And then the rest were, like, things like – Funnily enough, gluten is like just past the normal spectrum of things that I'm allergic to. And I'm actually more allergic to spelt, which is in like whole wheat and thing and like rye and things like that. So I'm just like, well, if I just don't eat those types of breads and stuff, then I can have bread. Mm-mm. I'm boring. I eat white bread anyway. <laughs> well, and I love sourdough bread. Like I would eat that all day. So oh. I'm like, I can have bread. So I'm just waiting for my 30 days to end so I can just eat all the bread. And I can eat hard cheeses. Are you just going to go on this hardcore gluten binge? I'm going to buy a whole fucking loaf of sourdough. And I'm going to buy a huge pack of cheddar cheese. And I'm just going to (laughs) eat cheddar cheese and sourdough sandwiches for like an entire week. (laughs) Do we just get videos? (laughs) Lindsay shows up to the next recording with a big <laughs> loaf of bread and a hunk of cheese, and she's like, "How?" Just double fist in it, <laughs> biting sharp cheddar, and then taking a bite of oh sourdough bread. Oh my god, you bread. won't poop for like a month after all that cheese. <laughs> I know. I just need to have bread that doesn't have egg in it. So that's my something good: is knowing what I'm allergic to, so I can eliminate it from my diet and be able to actually lose weight like I want to and stop sabotaging myself. That is good. Uh, Okay. Did I tell you guys about the mimic that Mm. I had? I think I did. Yeah, I I know that you've told me about this before. So uh, it probably was like two weeks ago maybe now that I was not feeling well. Oh, it's like right after I think I got my second shot. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was. And I was – so I was taking a bath and – since nobody else has heard this story, I'll retell it, and you guys can pretend that you're astonished and surprised, and this wow. is all new. Joel had taken the boys out to do something, and I took a bath, and I was just trying to relax and feel better. So I'm home alone, when all of a sudden, I hear the door shut downstairs, the, our back door, and I hear little feet come running through, and I hear Dean, my youngest, just humming a song, humming away, and he's talking, but I can't really make out exactly what he's saying. I'm like, what? That's so weird. You just, it sounds like he's having a conversation and it just sounded like Dean. And we don't have any kids on either side of us here, mm-hmm. nowhere near us. 
And so I send Joel a text and I'm like, did you guys come home early? Because I didn't hear anybody else. I just heard Dean. And he said no. And I think I texted you guys around the same time. Like, this is really weird because I legit hear my kid downstairs right now. And then all of a sudden, I hear a thump and I hear him go, ow. <laughs> and it sounds... Okay, so just so everybody knows, this is the kid that bumps into everything. Mm -hmm. He constantly runs into stuff, and he's so clumsy. And that was 100% something that he would have done. (laughs) They didn't come home for a while, but it went on for a little while after that, and then it just kind of stopped. And I I haven't heard a mimic in years, and it was wild. It wasn't scary. It was just weird. I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> it makes but me that's... uncomfortable. Because <laughs> my first thought was, you've got demons in your house. Please grab some sage and brush that shit. <laughs> smudge, smudge, smudge. I want to curl up in a blanket burrito and never come out, but that's okay. <laughs> Ashley's like, I got my second shot, but guess who I'm not visiting now? <laughs> no, I did get my second shot. It sucked, kind of, but that's okay, Mm -hmm. because I didn't die, and that's all that matters. Yeah. I don't know if I have, like, anything. Do you feel like you have a force field now? A shield? No. I mean, I didn't really feel any different. Like, my two, because they say it takes two weeks for you to, like, completely, I guess, achieve. I I don't know what the hell word to use, because Enlightenment. It's not, no. (laughs) I know. Um, No, I achieved that at the age of six. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Real talk, enlightenment is just knowing that you're a dumbass and and (laughs) accepting it and trying to move on with your life. And I know that I am a dumbass, but I haven't fully accepted it and I can't move on (laughs) with my life. So (laughs) I am uh, basically stuck it at the end of phase one on that i will let you know if it changes (laughs) we've got a status update (laughs) but yeah it takes two weeks or whatever i guess after you get the second one until you're considered fully vaccinated so Mm -hmm. my two weeks was just up on friday and i didn't i still don't feel like going anywhere so i don't know i feel like here's the problem I'm very socially awkward anyway. I never liked talking to people. I still don't like talking to people. I know I'm on a podcast. Don't come at me with how weird that is. It's fine. I'm a weird person and I have accepted that. But like, I don't know if I know how to exist in a public space anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Because it's yeah. not something that ever came naturally to me. It's something I have to work at. And I like I often have people tell me that they don't think I that I don't seem like I have anxiety or that I don't seem like I'm uncomfortable. Allow me to assure you, that's fake. And I'm very uncomfortable and I don't want to be doing whatever it is I'm doing pretty much ever. So I feel that. I don't know if I'm ever Obviously, I'm going to have to. I mean, I don't want to stay trapped inside forever either, but I just feel like anxiety-wise, I'm a little dialed up at the thought Mm -hmm. of having to try to do that again because I was never great at it. (laughs) But yeah, 
so I guess that can be my little story. It's not necessarily a good thing, but at least I know what my deal is. And I mm-hmm. guess in some respects, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, you got the second dose. So now you have that option for when you are ready. Mm-hmm. All righty. Let's do We're Before we close up the restaurant, I'm going to read a review from a satisfied customer. So this one is from Seth CTFT. Hi, Seth. We know you. I can pretend that we don't. <laughs> can pretend that we don't, but it would be a lie. <laughs> anyway, he titled the review Amazing Show. He writes, This podcast is great for lovers of cryptids and urban legends. I wasn't familiar with the international stories, so that was really fun to dive into. The hosts have great chemistry, and I'd listened to their podcasts before. It was fun to hear them as a supergroup. Loved the storytelling. All right. Well, thank you so much, Seth. Thanks, Seth. Yes, we love you. Thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a rich slice of Chilean mythology. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but... We're glad that you do, question mark. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.